Hi, welcome to Dear Seekers. I'm your host, Sasha Shao. In case you haven't heard, we are trying out something different and exciting. For the month of June, each week I will be joined by a fantastic woman on Zoom. That's right, I'm joining in the Zoom party. And the most exciting part is you are invited to join in and ask questions. So if you fancy to join us, make sure to sign up to our secret supply. More details and private Zoom links will be sent out to your inbox next week. Hope to see you there. Owning the fact that, like, yes, I am a dancer, I'm a choreographer, movement director, and I stood on that TED Talk stage and I spoke. I didn't dance at all. <laughs> you know, I didn't perform. I just was me. I think that that to me was the most powerful takeaway of the fact that I was able to be me on that stage and feel confident and feel worthy and feel like this is the new phase. It's another phase of me uncovering who I am. This is AC Mensa, an award-winning dancer choreographer based in Toronto. AC not only has worked with many big names like Rihanna, Drake, Bastard Boys, but she has also created a beautiful and important dance theater show called Shades, which reexamines the wound caused by prejudice against a person based on the darkness of their skin color. She recently appeared on TED Talk speaking on shadism. As you know, dance is her art form, her craft, her artistic expression. Speaking in front of hundreds of people, on the other hand, is not. But she has a message to give, and she delivered it with a standing ovation. It didn't matter how well I danced, how well I mastered my craft. I would always come second place to my shade. People saw my shade first and my talent second, so I made a choice. Being good was not enough. I had to be amazing, extraordinary, phenomenal, one of a kind, just to rise above my shade. I had to perform at a higher level than everyone else, just to get a seat at the table. I have included the link to the talk in the show notes and also on our website, ideasecrets.com. Highly recommend to give it a watch. This conversation was recorded pre-COVID in AC's home. We dived so deep into our conversation before I even hit recording. So I told AC, "Wait, wait, wait! Let's pause here so I can get all this good stuff to our listeners." So don't worry, the full gist of the conversation was well preserved. And as a self-taught lay starter, being a good enough dancer isn't an option for her. AC shares the roller coaster ride of finding, recognizing, and embracing her own voice. We talk about the importance of actively challenging and shifting our default systems. What are especially needed in this called-out culture we're living in, and why we are so afraid of someone being different from us. And one more thing. 
please leave us a review or comment on Apple Podcast, so we won't be lost in this podcast ocean. For me, the TED Talk was something that it it took a lot of work, and the way that they're formatted. So there's like you work closely with the coach. I just said my story, and this is who I am. And the first question she asked me is, "Where do you get your strength from?" And、mm. I was really like, "Oh." That's an interesting question. It is, and I and I was not expecting her to say that, <laughs> so I had to face a lot of myself very very early on. Also, I did a lot of journaling. I do a lot of journaling. I just was trying to understand what is the answer to that question. Where do I get my strength from? You know, my career redirected when I was doing commercial dance. She was wondering, okay, so most people would have ended their career there, and a lot of people did,、uh, but you found a new niche. I found traditional African, and then she was like, okay, but then that didn't satisfy you enough. So then you started creating your own style, and you went through a lull period of that because essentially, you know, when I was doing it, it wasn't as popular as Afrobeat music and movement is now. It was at the beginning stages of it, so nobody knew about it. She was like, but then you pushed through that, and then. You know, it was just like all of the necessary steps to kind of get me into where I was、uh, or where I am now. She had me face very early on, and then, you know, we're trying to understand what the talk is. When I submitted my application, I submitted with the context of shades and doing it about my show that I created, and then they actually felt that I was also capable of creating a talk that was on something else. So they wanted me to be open to kind of just see what drops in and to see what actually ends up being the focus of the talk. So I was like, okay. So that open-ended balloon effect really, even though everything came back to shades, it really allowed me to examine my life as a whole to see what it is that I've done, what it is that I've built, and then having to understand really piece by piece. And to me, the most helpful thing about Building the the talk was finding ways to articulate shades and shadism, and the context of how I created the show and how I found something really special that isn't really present anywhere else, as far as I know.、Um, she just consistently pushed me. My coach, she was like a drill sergeant. <laughs> <laughs> I love her, Ariel. I love you, but she was a drill sergeant. She knew what I was capable of, and she pushed me towards that, despite tears on my end. Uh, which were never in the presence. Well, they were in the presence of her, but my frustration and things like that were behind closed doors.、Mm-hmm. So really giving myself the chance to kind of sit in myself and、uh, see myself and own myself, you know, on all fronts, all the way down to like the bitter end of doing the talk. One of the coaches had said the night before when she heard the talk, she like she teared up and she was crying afterwards, and and、uh, she was just like, it's like you have a message to give. And that just like neutralized because、mm-hmm. if you've never done anything that big before, the weight of it can sometimes just like can really sit on you. And really drilling into the fact that it's like, no, I do have a message to give. That's what I want to go forth to be able to say whatever whatever it is that I need to say, so that way people can take it and then continue on with the rest of their lives. You、mm-hmm. know.、Um, But the inner work itself definitely requires so much、yeah. from you. Yeah. So through this process, what kind of things they've learned about yourself? 
um, the inner work uh, really pierced like right into the center of me. And because I had to then express myself through speech and not through dance, which is right. which is a different level of things to be able to say it and to own it and to understand the experiences that I've gone through, you know, and really looking back at my life and seeing all of those key moments when I said, no, I'm not going to take this as my reality. I'm going to shift. I'm going to shift. I'm going to shift. I'm going to shift. And, and understanding how it is that the train that I put myself on is really like how it led me to where I am and owning the fact that like, yes, I am a dancer. I'm a choreographer, movement director. And I stood on that Ted talk stage and I spoke. I didn't dance at all. <laughs> you know, I didn't perform. I just was me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that that to me was the most powerful takeaway of the fact that I was able to be me on that stage and feel confident and feel worthy and feel like this is the new phase. It's another phase of me uncovering who I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And which I found very fascinating is most of the times we're trying to look for strength or inspiration outside of us. Yeah, and, I mean, a lot of artists will get asked this question, where do you get inspiration mm -hmm. from? Most of the times from outside of us. But actually, interestingly, in inside of our inner work has a lot of our inspiration and strength that we can drop mm -hmm. it from. Yeah. So Just did you feel like that was... Uh, It helped because, uh, which I'm still trying to figure out. I'm like, is this a me thing or is just, is, am I just stubborn? <laughs> um, but, uh, I didn't, when I, when I did the TED talk, I like preparing for it. I hardly watched any of them, you know, where I think some people were like, okay, you kind of see what other people are doing within their TED talk. But then for me, I didn't want to have to have someone else's words or nuances seep into my own process. You know, I really wanted to make sure that everything that came out from me was from me. Mm -hmm. For me to be able to just say it with confidence and say it in front of a, a room full of people that I've never met and uh, and to own that to me, it's like it's a it's a treasure. It's something that mm -hmm. I'll, I'll cherish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned about um, you, it took you a while to actually recognize that mm -hmm. um, you couldn't you know, accept the fact that you have actually a lot of achievements. Mm -hmm. You kind of tuck those achievements away, those awards away. Tell us why it was like that before. What kind of process you had to go through to recognize those things that you have achieved? Um, I think for me, because of the fact that I was on the path that I was on, I, I was really just like driven. And my drive just kind of was like, okay, so we got there. Cool. You know, let's what's keep next? going. Yeah, let's keep going. Because I kept feeling like there was some type of end point that I needed to get to. And that end point, I didn't quite know what it looked like. But I felt like, okay, when I got to the point where my name is in the lights, or when I got to the point where I was working with this artist or, you know, creating this show, that's when I felt like I was fully achieved, you know, but recognizing that all the steps along the way are part of the process. And if I can't cherish the things that I already have, I won't be able to cherish the bigger things that are to come. So that was really what the process was for me. And, you know, my spiritual teacher, she has really guided me. You know, it's the, it's the constant question. You still don't really, rec you're still not fully embracing yourself, are you? And I was like, I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm working on it. And they're like, okay, well... You know, the sooner you can get there, the better. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay, okay. What so, do you think they mean by getting there? It's seeing myself. 
you know, um, somebody that started off as a dancer, I kind of just fell into this into this realm of dance. I, I wasn't planned, or at least I didn't think it was. When I ended up in the space where I had to just start to become myself and uncover myself. And as I, as I started to uncover, I was like, okay, yep, she dances, great. And then I was like, okay, yep, she choreographs, okay, but she really creates really interesting work. And then somewhere along the lines, my voice started coming. And I was a very shy kid. And I remember, I remember a moment, I think my dad came to one of my shows and I was speaking. And then. How old were you? I was like, I was in, this was when I was already in my career. Oh. But, you know, my, my dad, like I moved when I was in, what it was like 21 when I left Hamilton to come to Toronto to do dance. And my dad, (laughs) I'll never forget. He came to one of my shows. So it was probably maybe 24, 25 at the time. And maybe even 26. And he heard me speak and he kind of looked at me after the show and he was like, where did that come from? I was like, I don't know. I just seemed like I woke up one day and all of a sudden I had a voice because I was like painfully shy and I could not like I spoke. I was on student council. I did all of the things, but I still was really shy to be able to speak in front of people and uh, and allow myself to be heard realizing that my voice started getting stronger as the years came as the questions that I started asking myself or the people around me or society and things like that and I just was like okay well why do we feel like you know why do we as Africans or why do we you know as immigrants feel like we have to assimilate to Canadian culture and 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 not bring our own culture you know speaking specifically of Africans and and for me Ghanaians my parents brought brought the culture forward but you know, there's a lot of other countries that, you know, you come to Canada, I'm a Canadian, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm no longer where I was from. And that disconnect to me is is so disheartening, because it's just like, well, who are, who am I if I'm not of my parents? You know, what are the things that I know, don't know, are all relative to my heritage. And so just asking a lot of questions. And then shows started and then more questions and then more shows started and then my voice just started getting stronger and stronger and stronger as I became a creator choreographer the with the content that I was creating it uh, allowed me to say things to the audience it allowed me to challenge people on the things that I was creating and getting people to now start to think differently or to even just to have a seed to potentially think differently so I think that that was it was a, it was like a full shift. And as I recognize all of those parts of myself, every time I kept meeting newer parts of myself mm-hmm. or uncovering newer parts of myself, that's when I was just like, oh, oh <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh. And then those self discovery <clears throat> is very beautiful. It very is very poetic, actually. And, and for me, for a long time, I think it just, it felt disheartening because I felt like I kept wanting to get there. And thinking that did you know what there means at that time? But no, mm-hmm. it's like there was just a, a place where I felt like I can stand with my two feet and be like, the work is done. And be like, oh, okay, I can breathe. Because I remember there was a point in time in my life where I I finished, and then I just was like, or I, I I reached a certain level within my spiritual work, and I was just like, okay, I got here, and I was like, okay, the work is done, and it was like, actually, no, the work is just beginning. Like every time I reach a finish line, it's a new it's a new start line. You know, every time I reach another finish line, it's a new starting line. Recognizing that it's a, it's just, it's a long journey. It's not a straight line. It's a journey. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see your 
definition of success actually has changed.、Mm-hmm. Tell me about it. Drastically, I think right now, I think success is a byproduct. You know, if I get a chance to continue to do the work that I'm meant to do, and through that also create dance, choreograph, bring people together to help shift the vibration that's here, I think for me that is success. As a byproduct, being in certain spaces and accessing different things and being in front of different people. Are all a part of it, but I think for me right now, it's like as long as I can get a chance to continue to do the work that I'm here to do, then I'm I'm successful, which is very different from where I started in dance. You know, the names being behind somebody was was quote unquote success. Being dancing backup for somebody was success, but then I always challenged, and I was like, I can dance backup for you, but I'm my own person. And I know that you might be X Y Z, but I am also me, <laughs> and I'm AC Mensa. So I don't necessarily want to have to only live in your shadow, but I can also stand in my own light, while you stand in your own light, and we can create together. So it's really creating, forging more relationships, so that way, you know, the work that we need to do becomes successful.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's really nice.、Mm-hmm. Um, so you are actually one of the six kids in your family,、mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yep, and you're、yeah. the youngest one. Yep, you know my family is like a balance of outspoken and and not, <laughs>、uh, so it's a good balance、uh, within the family. But I think it's just like I guess for me, it's like my shyness was like reserved. You know,、mm-hmm. I think re- reflecting back on it, I just was like I was reserved, which is good and bad because then you don't always get a chance to say what's in your mind. But then at this at the same time, you also learn restraint. And making sure that you don't have to say everything. So I think that that's what I gained from my shyness as a kid.、Mm-hmm. It's actually five kids. Oh, five. Yeah, yeah. One brother, four sisters. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. And、um, do you think because of that, words weren't something that you used to express yourself? Then you dabble into dancing with like movements and, and body languages and stuff、mm-hmm. like that. And it's funny because I think. Growing up as a kid, I always realized, in some way, shape, or form, I would probably be a performer. To be honest, I actually thought that I would probably be an actor. I hated Shakespeare.、Um, <laughs> sorry to anybody that likes him,、um, but I couldn't understand it when I was in high school. So I didn't end up going into the drama route, which I really, not to say regret, but I really wish I should have. Dance was just the thing that was always constant. Throughout my life, and I didn't actually recognize it until I actually chose it as a career. Every moment that I could, I would dance. Like even in high school, there's a dance program at another high school that I wanted to try to get to,、um, but I couldn't because it conflicted with my French immersion classes.、It、looks like dance is gonna have to wait. So it seemed like it was kept getting pushed back and pushed back、uh, to the point where I just the kettle just burst, and I just was like, nope, it needs to happen now. When was that? When was that pivotal moment? University. I dropped out of university after my third year to pursue dance full time. University, you know, for me, it wasn't it wasn't enjoyable at that point in time. And so, whatever spirit just kind of started to really whisper in my ear, and、uh, and then I just was like, okay, let's、uh, pursue dance.、Mm. And、How did you bring that news to your parents? Oh, my sister did. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't? No, I didn't tell my parents. My my older sister did.、Uh, she she <laughs> my sister Amelie, oldest in the family. She was she was the、um, like the gateway, 
And that's why it's like I knew what I was doing being the youngest in the family. If I was the oldest in the family, there was no way my parents would have ever let me do this. You know, immigrant parents, having a child as an artist is not is not the thing. Yeah. So the formula doesn't work. In no, your head. no, at all whatsoever. <laughs> so when I realized this, I talked, I called my sister and I was like, okay, so this is what I want to do. She's a social worker. So she kind of was like kind of dissected and, and was like, okay, so these are all the variables. Maybe you should actually find a school. Maybe, you know, maybe your parents will be a little bit happier if you do that. Than just saying you're just going to move to Toronto and figure it out, mm. you know? So at least present a plan. Exactly. Right. So I did research. You know, Ryerson had a four-year program. York had a four-year program. All of these places had four-year programs, and I was over it. I just was like, nope, I can't. No, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I don't want to leave school to go through more school. I was like, I, and I still don't know whether or not I actually want to do this. Mm. So then I found George Brown College at the time that was doing a commercial dance program, which was a year long. And I was like, oh, that's good. I don't need to have ballet training because all the other programs, it's like, you need to have ballet training. You need to have, you know, some type of contemporary training. And I didn't have that because I didn't grow up with it. I literally was like, my training is teaching myself hip hop or learning, you know, um, Ghanaian dances, like traditional Ghanaian dances. That was it. So you were purely self-taught yeah. at that point. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So... So how did you feel about that? Like everything <laughs> needs some sort of training. That, I know. And then did you feel like an outsider in a way? Oh, very much so. Um, in this professional realm that you wanted to actually get into. Mm-hmm. Like, again, I had no idea if I was going to be successful, but I always knew that I was a natural dancer. So for me, when I was doing the audition, I was like, okay, well, if they can just see potential, if I can just show them there's there's potential in me, then then I can make it. You know, and that's that's all I prayed for. I was just like, if they could just see my potential, they'll <laughs> look past the fact that all of this other stuff is happening and, and I don't look like I'm pointing my toes or anything like that. So I ended up getting in. I met my girlfriend, Shamika, in the program. And then you're with girls that are like, oh, I've been dancing since I was four. Oh, I've been dancing since I was seven. Oh, I've been dancing. And you're just like, I just started at yeah. 22. <laughs> But the moment that I realized that I was in the right place and that I was exactly where I needed to be, one of my one of my teachers for our summer assessment was like, I was there when he created the piece and it was an absolutely beautiful jazz piece. He he was like, okay, we're going to do an audition and uh, I'm going to pick who's going to do the piece. I'm going to mm-hmm. pick four people. So he picked the three girls and I was the last person that he picked. And I was shocked and all the girls that, cause you know, our class is divided between the people that have been dancing for a long time and the girls that haven't. So, so the divide was pretty obvious. Yeah. Like it was, yes. Cause when you're coming in with, into a program with people that can't do a tondu or just like basic ballet footwork, don't really know the proper positioning for a turn, the mechanics for a turn, like you're, I was coming in bare bones, mm-hmm. you know? And to to have that turnaround happen within six months to make me look like I I knew what I was doing, even if my body was still learning, my personality in terms of performance was there. And I loved, I absolutely fell in love with that piece. And yeah, and that was the turning point. It was a turning point. And I, and it's, I know it's disheartening for people that have been in dance when you have such a mixed level group. 
because then you're like, well, I can't really progress. And then, but the people on like at the bottom really have to work their way up. And I did. Me and Shamika, we would pay for, you know, privates with my teachers just to kind of just like continue to work and continue to get better because it's hard being in a room when your ballet teachers, hey, we're going to go across for, we're going to do this, this, and that, that. And you're like, I can't do one mm-hmm. of those things, <laughs> right. let alone all of it. So it was, it was frustrating. And, you know, I think that was when the determination started to build because mm-hmm. I was like, no, I know I need to be here. Right. So I worked for it. Yeah. And that was the big, that was a big turning point. kind of like pivotal moment that make you feel like you actually have to work harder than you need to be um i think it was always present within my career it really started in the commercial dancing because i recognized that as a dark-skinned woman the odds of me getting booked were just going to be lesser than everybody else you know i remember a movie that i auditioned for the choreographer loved me and i danced like so great on it but I knew that my complexion was an issue because How of the brand. How do you know? Some signals or somebody told well, you something? it's the brand. The brand of this. And it's hard because you're like, do I really just out people? I love them, but it's Disney. So there was a movie called Camp Rock 2. And it was like Camp Rock and Camp Star. So I was on Team Camp Rock. Camp Star had all the good looking lighter skinned people. <laughs> And then Camp Rock had, like, everybody else. This is so ridiculous. I know. I actually had this talk with uh, one of my best friends. We just found it, you know, all the Disney fairy tales and all this, like, story we'll go up to. You know, all these, like, evil people, Mm -hmm. all very, like, Mm -hmm. they're all very ugly and Mm -hmm. very dark. Mm -hmm. And all the people are, like, beautiful. And Mm -hmm. then they reflect some sort of, like pureness or mm-hmm. beauty or something they all like very pale so i mean that's gonna lead to mm. what we're gonna talk about the shadedism but yeah. at the same time it's like we never knew when we were a kid that that's exactly how we mm-hmm. were portrayed mm-hmm. this is so ridiculous even with the dissonant casting yeah, and then yeah. this is how they put people into different categories yeah and that was the thing because you know and it's it's hard too because you're you really start to question your talent you really start to question, you know, for me, whether it was that or if it was, you know, I, there would be like, just like club gigs and rarely girls dancing at the club would be dark skinned girls. You would always see, like, I remember so it was music nightclub. It's not even open anymore. My girlfriend was casting and she brought me in. She was like, okay, dance. And I was like, okay, it's just easy, easy money dancing in a club. Great. Nope, still going to get discriminated on. Still not going to get the job because, you know, they don't really want black girls at their clubs. So it was just like, it's it's frustrating because you're like, so what space do I get to occupy? Where do I get to be that I could actually just fully be me? So that I think that that was really uh, a driving force to kind of just be like, okay, so where do I get to exist? And then the only place that I really felt that I could fully exist was when I was creating my own work. You know, because then I didn't have to worry about barriers or boundaries or somebody telling me what I could and could not do 
because it was it was me. Mm-hmm. I was creating the parameters of what I existed in. And I also had to challenge it with different people that I was bringing in because then I had to ask myself, okay, well, if, if you're not going to be okay with somebody doing this because you're black, well, then are you going to make space for other people because of their complexion or because of their race? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, how do I make space in a way that I didn't actually experience within my own life or within my own career? So it definitely, it's a push and pull situation that I've realized and I just realized also it's like it's a very complex issue when you're getting into the world of shadism colorism it's not black and white and it's not as black and white as we think it is you know Um, Mm -hmm. we like to see it in different in different ways or in different very specific things okay well this happened and that happened so this equals this but then now for me it's like I'm really trying to challenge it at every level to really understand, you know, what are the what are the things that we're born into that keeps shifting us into the way that we are? What are the things that are being reinforced? Like Disney, you know, when you're telling us that all the lighter people are good people, but then all the all the the darker skinned people are bad. Yeah. You know, it took me right back to university. So that was the foreshadowing of like, how is it that the work that I did in university doing cultural studies, like she was one of my favorite profs. And we watched a film called Mickey Mouse uh, Monopoly. And it basically was like a whole uh, documentary completely just um, destigmatizing Disney movies. After that class, I could not watch Disney movies for at least a couple of years because you're just like, oh, that's this. And this is you're looking at Pocahontas and you're just like, how dare you? choose to treat Native American people like that and having songs like called Savages, Savages. You're like, how, like, and then you're looking at, okay, the only film that you've done about Black people is The Lion King. You made us into animals and that's the representation of Africa. Got it. You know, what are you trying to reinforce? What are you trying to say? Like, you know, obviously it's like Mulan. Mulan was a great movie. Absolutely loved that movie. But even though she saved China, she still needed her father's approval. Like, so what are you, what are the messages that you're really instilling into younger generations, into young girls, into young boys that kind of upkeep mm-hmm. the mindset that we get to when we, we're older? Cause one of the, I, the thing that I realized was that when you're looking at shadism, those seeds are planted in as a kid. Yeah. Those seeds are there from when you're a baby, from when you're a, you know, a preteen. You know, that whole age from zero till about 10, zero till about 12, to me, it's like you've had a plethora of experiences Mm -hmm. in terms of whether you've been favored or disliked. Right. And you don't really comprehend it until you get older, Mm -hmm. until you become an adult. And I don't even think people even get a chance to even comprehend it. You know, after I was doing the TED Talk, a lot of people came up to me and were like, you name the thing that I've experienced my whole life. Mm-hmm. Now I understand what that is. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, or one lady was like, she's from Venezuela. She's just like, people t- call me dark skin. And I'm looking at her and I'm just like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and even, even as a dark skinned black woman, hearing the other woman being able to sit there and say, yes, I'm dark. And to me, it's like, and, and for my lens, I was like, you're light beyond light, mm-hmm. you know, but for them and their context and their world, they're considered dark skin. So even for me, it was like opening up the lens to the experiences of other people, yeah. hearing yeah. the fact that like, yes, in your culture, you're a dark skin woman. Okay, so how do I make space for you? And how do I allow us to kind of stand on the same platform? Because we're all going through the similar experience. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting how... 
you know, things, the boxes and I, the thing I like to call Pandora's box just keeps uncovering more and more stuff that really just keeps coming out. You know, we talk about there's a room for everybody. Mm-hmm. I do believe it. But I do believe also that there's still so much room to get there. Yes. Um, and then for, you know, as we talk about before I re- start recording, was that, you know, most of the time, what audition or entertainment industry or arts or culture in all kind of spectrum mm-hmm. will have like click the box and then maybe get three white people, maybe that one black person. Do you feel like you are almost like the, the lowest drawer because, you know, they will call you, you, oh, you're the black black. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like what, they, they click that one box and then, and then even in that one box, yeah. you, you probably don't even have the chance to, you know, to sit on the table. Yeah. No, I definitely don't. I, I know for sure if I hadn't shifted my career into being the artist that I am now, I wouldn't have a career in the, like in the commercial dance industry period. Like there's just, there's, there's, only so much you can take. Yeah. Uh, you want everybody to blend in. There's one thing, it was like a show I was watching where it's just like when you pan out on everybody and if everybody's standing together, when you pan out, does everybody look the same? You know, is there a commonality? If you actually have different shades of people, you're going to see the differences. You're going to see the dark skinned black person. You're going to see, you're going to see the different shades, but people's inability to want to just to equalize the space and be comfortable with seeing the difference mm-hmm. and not feeling uncomfortable with being like, no, everybody has to be on the same, on the same playing field. It was like, actually, we're not like mm-hmm. at all. And just acknowledging that and just saying, okay, we're just again gonna, we're gonna hire based on talent. And if you are talented as a dark skinned person or if you're talented because of this, then that's what it is, you know? Like mm-hmm. that's, that's what it should look like. And, that's not always the case. And it's it's disheartening. You know? Why do you think we're so afraid of um, differences? Someone being different, whatever that is, in whatever form. I think people don't want to show their scars. You know, people don't want to show the fact that you might be different in complexion, but there's a similarity or, you know, like there's a commonality like, we don't want to show the fact that, like, oh, I've been through this. And be like, really? Yeah, so have I. And you're just like, oh, you know, how can you go through the same experience? You're black. Guys, it's life. <laughs> it's called life. So people recognizing that there's a similarity amongst us. And we're so caught up about the differences. We're so caught up about the uh, the things that divide us as opposed to the things that unite us. If we can acknowledge the fact that there's we can have a shared experience then i won't care about the fact that you're a different race or a different Mm -hmm. shade you know but that to me it's like that takes courage that takes work that takes changing your frame of mind and challenging your defaults a lot of the things that i i mentioned in the ted talk is like actively challenging your default is like that is the thing and if you can't get to a space where you actually get a chance to challenge your default you're just gonna keep existing in the way that you have been and then the cycle just continues and continues and continues and continues but that to me is why rihanna's brand like that's why fenty is so popular and it is so received because of the fact that she said i'm not going to divide anybody to me her doing that just completely just shattered it just shattered what we know you know i'm I'm getting goosebumps thinking about i'm like it just shattered everything that we know everything that we've been fed to me, I'm like, nobody knows how difficult it is 
if I can't go to Shoppers Drug Mart and find foundation in my complexion, now I can. But even then, not all shoppers are going to carry it because you, again, don't see the value and actually representing everybody in that space. Why can't shoppers just have one of everything? Why can't you have a selection? And if it's not in this brand, okay, so we need to make sure that we have some darker ones in, in Revlon or in Maybelline, just so that way when ladies come into this space that they can actually see, because it's great if you have it, but if it's not in stores, then clearly to me, it's like you don't actually have it. Yeah. You're not actually and committed to that. Sometimes it's terrifying to think that for a lot of younger girls walk into the store of their friends and then they're trying to find something for their skin and then they couldn't find yep. what kind of like, you know, identity crisis they mm-hmm. would have to go through mm-hmm. to almost like ask themselves like why I even exist. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Cause it's like if I'm constantly uh, like coming up with scenarios where I'm being told that I'm not, to me, it's like that's an issue. I remember. Like my mom bought Avon for us, which was never, ever match. And then I would want to go to shoppers to find it. And at that time, they didn't even have anything close to dark. <laughs> you know, like the lightest color was, I don't even know, like caramel or something, you know, and you're just sitting there. You're like, okay, am I going to have to be in a situation where I'm going to have to put on a foundation that's lighter? I'm pretty sure at some point in time I did. And then if not, then I would just borrow my sister's because my sister was kind of close to my foundation. So I would borrow my sister's until I was able to get the capital, get enough money for me to then buy something that matched, quote unquote, matched me. People don't recognize it until you start to honor what other what you've gone through or what the people around you have gone through. When you start to see what people have had to go through, the barriers that are preventing people from being able just to exist, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It's not like we all need makeup. Not everybody has to be Alicia Keys, but like, but if I do want to wear it, you know, why There's can't I, yeah, why can't I find something that actually is like, great, makes me feel good. Now I can go to Sephora and see in almost every brand have complexion spectrum. Mm-hmm. Not every brand does. There's still some that don't, but like almost every brand is going to have a spectrum of a complexion that you're looking at and I was just like, this was not here. Like this, like Rihanna single-handedly completely shifted the whole entire industry because she just said, I'm going to make sure that everybody can be seen. Even the girl that has, that's albino, that can find a complexion that is as light as she is and I can have something as dark as I am. It's not even the fact that it's brilliant. It's just, that's what it should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm so glad you mentioned about um, when I asked you why we're so afraid of uh, differences. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, you talk about because that's what we all focus on is the differences. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can if sit back and then to enjoy and appreciate and recognize the human being, the yeah. humanity, yeah. the common ground, yeah. that, that dialect, that mm-hmm. conversation will be drastic change. Mm-hmm. To be able to experience those things on a visceral level where it's like I felt on the inside of me, like I felt you on the inside like that to me is just like that's that's what we should be searching for, not just the outer. Especially when we are so quick on, you know, pointing fingers. Yes. Yeah. As you talk about in one of the interviews that maybe listen, you mm-hmm. know, just mm-hmm. listen. Mm-hmm. That's uh something a lot of people don't do nowadays often. Yeah, I think we are so used to, especially like thinking back to the TED Talk, and I had said this to my coach, I'm like with this call-out culture that's so prevalent, it's stripping people from being able to speak their truth. You know, people are speaking truth that they think is their truth, but probably isn't. 
but you know and i'm like it doesn't give people the autonomy within their own voice to be able to say okay i have the power to say this and to be vulnerable enough to be like i don't get this i don't get that i don't understand this and everybody's just like well now we're you know everybody's just so sensitive and i was like okay guys we're now moving away from Mm. where we need to be yeah you know, how, and that sensitivity yeah. actually comes with fear now. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. is what we don't need to go that way. No, yeah. it's like, like, how can I understand you? You know, I to understand like the level of where <laughs> my awareness is now shifted to. I'm bringing a group of girls to Nigeria for a festival, and uh, the this, one of the people, one of the clients that was bringing us there, had a talk with me because he was like, you know, so and so that's funding this wants the wants more white people to be involved in the group so you know he was like no your group is fine it was more about the u.s team because the u.s team was all black people and it's like okay i understand you want it to reflect your country so then when i went back some people were just like "Mm, i still kind of kind of call bs but realistically and i was like well if you're looking at what america looks like it doesn't it's not all black people so if you want the team to represent the country then i can understand the thinking behind that Mm -hmm. and it's not a matter of giving him the benefit of the doubt but it's just seeing the situation for what it is right you know Mm because it's like yeah if i want to represent canada putting a whole bunch of black people out there doesn't really make sense i understand that in order to represent my country i need to be inclusive of everybody right or as inclusive of everybody Mm -hmm. you know i still understand that i'm still doing a form that is done mainly by black people but I can't say that only black people consume it because it's like I you can go anywhere around the world and soca is being consumed by everybody. Mm-hmm. Soca, dance hall, Afrobeats, African cultures all being now consumed by everybody. So why not also involve that inclusivity? You know, to me, it's just like the layers of dissecting it go so far down and so deep. To me, it's just like, no, I could actually just see the situation for what it is. And maybe if we took more time to see the situation for what it is, then we will actually be able to shift and see each other differently. Shift and, you know, start to not be so tight. Anytime anytime someone says something that we don't like, you know, we tighten up. And I think that, like, being able to kind of just like, okay, let me see everything from both sides. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What other things are you hoping to do with your craft, with your art, maybe bring other conversations in? Um, me being able to tour my show Shays is a huge thing and getting people to see the show, witness the show, experience the show and then have conversations about it. And if it's not seeing the show, are there workshops? Are there other things that we can do to kind of help supplement the conversation because shades was a healing for the people that were in it but also the people that experience it go through healing in a real time and it's not just we get a chance to talk and then you know we close up the books and we're like okay cool we're out but it's like cool we can talk but then we also have to then physicalize we have to then actualize what it is and the scenarios that we could be in and creating scenarios that might ostracize somebody that might give somebody power that might get somebody to do something good or bad out of love or out of hate to people what does that look like um to me it's like the explorations that we've done to like for me to be able to build shades it was like it was a series of very lengthy (laughs) (laughs) explorations that we would just do time and time and time again the reason why the conversation of shadism 
occurring through movement and not just with words is that you gave people the chance to have to confront, you know, I'm going to do this to you, but it doesn't mean that you're going to come at me with, with anger. You might come at me with love. So how do I navigate that? Mm -hmm. How do I navigate if, if I'm coming at you and I'm bringing you all of this hate, but then you choose to hug me, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just like, it's to me, or you come with me with love and I choose to hate you. You know, I, I really challenge the team to show or to see the fact that it's like love and, and hate are at both ends of the spectrum. And we have the ability to oscillate between the two of them. You know, when if I don't necessarily want to do things, but I feel like I it needs to happen because I need to serve the art. That's what I do. I serve my art, you know, because that shows me a lot about myself and it shows other people a lot about themselves as well yeah. wow <laughs> just let it sit for a bit yeah 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 that was beautiful that's it okay. i think i have all my yeah. questions thank that you so, so much good. sasha Thank you for listening today. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. Before you go, make sure to sign up for the Seeker Supply so you can join us on our Zoom conversations in June. And as always, your review and comment on Apple Podcast is greatly appreciated. See you next time. Until then, stay curious, keep seeking.